Objects, said philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, should not touch because they are not alive. You use them, put them back in place, you live among them, they are useful, nothing more. But they touch me, it's unbearable. I'm afraid of being in contact with them as though they were living beasts. After using my mum's old Tupperware containers as grief therapy after she passed away a few years ago, I became fascinated at how and why such a simple piece of plastic could hold so much emotion for me. How could these objects touch me so deeply? So I became overtaken with wonder at how my use of objects owned, used and cherished by her could be so powerful and therapeutic. Why do we invest so much in things? How could a basic, empty plastic container, a mere tool, make us so happy? And surely, in a world crowded with waste, disposability, materialism and hyper-consumerism, investing meaning in objects, in stuff, is part of the problem. And Tupperware, I mean, it's just an empty plastic container bound for landfill, right? Or is it a container of fascinating intergenerational stories? Well, I'm on the road to discovering the answers to these questions, plus a whole world of stories about us. Women, men, people, children, community, food, family, friendship, empowerment, and more. So Sartre, it seems, was onto something. Objects just aren't objects. My name is Megan Spencer, and this is Auspicious Plastic, a podcast. That's the sound of the English countryside where my friend Lucia lives, an Australian long gone and expatriated to Old Blighty. We go way back when. She's one of the smartest, most insightful and funniest people I know. Her heart belongs to animals and nature and as you'll hear, she not only works as a psychotherapist, she's also a card-carrying cat person. Vaping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can vape. Can I vape? Yeah, just don't chew. Mm. So, I'm with my friend Lucia. Where are we? We're in the woods. Well, actually, we're, we're in my, my office. Yeah. We're in my office. In, in what what do you do in your office? I'm a psychotherapist. Okay. So I'm, I'm in the chair. I'm in the hot seat. Yeah, you are in the hot seat. <laughs> As am I. You are. I am. So we're going to talk about your precious object today. And this is an unusual precious object in the scheme of precious objects in auspicious plastic. Well, you know, when when you... When you mentioned it, you know, for, it, it was the first thing that I, that I thought of. And it's my cat. And I know that my cat is not an object. I'm aware of that. But it was the word precious that really spoke to me. It means, you know, something of value. And, you know, my, my cat, Rolly, is so valuable to me. And, you know, he's not an object, but I do objectify him. So, In what way? Well, I just, um, just the way that he is, you know, he's a, at times when he sits and I'm just like, you're the perfect cat shape, you know, and the way he moves, you know, he's like a miniature tiger. And when he's, you know, around in the garden, uh, you know, stalking, a leaf or something like that. He hasn't got any teeth, by the way. So he, you know, he's not at all dangerous to wildlife at all. 
but you know he, he just to see him move you know he's 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 amazing so you're a bit aesthetically intoxicated by your cat well yes you... or, or attracted to yeah. the aesthetics of your cat appeal to you yes yeah well yeah well he's lovely he, he's lovely but the, it's also a concern for me because he's old and so I, I am monitoring his weight and you know how he is and you know if he's lethargic so I fret over him um, but it's his character it's his uh, he, it's his character that, that I'm really drawn to. He he's quite an extraordinary character. He, you know, he cheers me up when I'm feeling a bit low. You know, I I go and put my head on on him, you know, when he's lying there and he purrs immediately. And at times if I don't get a purr immediately, then I start to oh what's wrong with you and I start to poke him a little bit. He's my he's my companion, he's my mate. He's my friend. And I feel very serious about that. I care deeply for him. How did you and Rolly meet? Uh, on the streets of Brixton. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was living in an abandoned garage next to my, my house. He knew the sound and the rhythm of my walking. And he would listen out for it. And he would, he would pop out of the, of the garage and give me a big hello and then follow me home but um he belonged to someone else who wasn't really looking after him and he was getting sick because his immune system was attacking his his teeth and his mouth was covered in you know uh, surrounded by sores and, and and you know an abscess and but it, you know that that's it was it was something that affected me very deeply because i i love animals cats especially i grew up with cats Sorry, that was my vape, just vaping. Um, and, um, and, and so, you know, to cut a long story short, you know, I tracked down where, where he lived and I, I put it to that person that, you know, can I look after him? And, and they agreed. And so I took him off, you know, to the vet. But he is the second cat that I've had in my life that found, we found each other. And that means a lot to me because you don't sort of go out and, you know, select a friend. A friend, you know, just sort of somehow organically comes into, you know, your, you know, sphere of, you know, your lived experience. And so um, he, he just turned up and, you know, he's my friend. He sounds like your psychotherapist. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually he is They're, because I'm vulnerable with him. Because there's, he's not invested in me being a certain way. So I'm able to be very authentic with him. And, you know, uh, and there are times when I've been sad and he has, and I've been lay, lying down and he has come and sat on my head. And I took great comfort in, in that. So, yeah, uh, he brings out, he affords me a level of authenticity that is very rare. And you are a cat person and you are an animal lover. Do you find yourself allowing yourself or being able to inhabit that space of authenticity and vulnerability more around animals than other people? And I don't necessarily mean in your job either. I mean just as, as a general character trait of yourself perhaps or your nature. Uh, well, what it affords me is, is the knowledge that the animals, they, they don't know me. Um, they only know how I approach them because they live in the moment and it reminds me to live in the moment with them. So I discover myself through 
you know, through how they are responding to me, how they are perceiving, you know, me. And so it, it really, in a way, forces me, and I use the word force because it, at times it's um, forceful to be in the moment with them. So, yeah, yes. <laughs> because they can only be themselves, can't that's they, right. animals? Yeah, that's that's right, absolutely. Um, and there there are times when you know you you come across an animal because I I, I um, I've got a big garden and a lot of birds come to visit you know geese and 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 ducks and uh, and you can see at, at times that if they have been exposed to a sudden movement from a human or any cruelty then they'll carry that with them and so I'm very careful about how I approach them and I approach them with an open heart of joy and they pick up on that I know that sounds a bit but they pick up on it and they respond in kind you know it sounds to me almost as if you've made a bit of a a study of animal behavior and your own behavior in that I was going to say communion but you know in in that contact with these creatures I I observe myself and I observe them observing myself if that makes any sense so uh yeah yeah I I have but I just sort of know just what kindness can bring and you know nature doesn't pull any punches you know they die they are injured I had to call the RSPCA one 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 day because there was a swan on the lake and he had swallowed a fishing line and it was trailing out of his beak. And when he was walking, because he came up onto the onto the bank, he was stepping on it. So, it, he was not in a he was not in a good way. And so I called the RSPCA, and they and they said, "You do everything that you can to to observe him, because it, it, it might be a couple of hours until we're able to come out. And if he's gone, then then that's it." So I sat with the swan, and I talked to it. And um, I sang little songs to it. <laughs> and because swans love the sound of the human voice. So, you know, I was sitting there and talking to, to him. And, um, and then these two incredible women turned up from the RSPCA with a big swan hook. And they hooked him, sat on him, took out the hook. He was outraged. He went back out onto the, onto the lake and flapped his wings just to say, what the hell was that? But there's something about that to be willing to sit with this cruelty, you know, that you can how we affect animals, uh, but also how we can um, redeem ourselves through kindness with them and learn from them. It and sounds learn like from them completely, yeah, absolutely. So there I was. It was cold. It was it was winter, singing a song to a swan, to get a swan song. What song was it? Out of interest, um, it was a it was an Australian song. I'm not going to say what it was. I can't. No, I'm not. Give me a home it. among the gum trees. Could have been that. It could have been something something jolly, but it could have been that. But it was it was something that I did unashamedly. I mean, I'm you know I'm, I'm blushing a bit now, but at the time I was like, this is this feels like what's needed. <laughs> What's called for, as they say in in Buddhist circles. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. It was called for for me to sit there in the cold for you know for quite a while to sing a 
a song to uh, a swan to keep him calm and to keep him interested in, in being close by me so they could, you know, rescue him. <laughs> I'm Megan Spencer and this is Auspicious Plastic, a podcast about objects and why we love them. We're not going to call your precious object a precious object. We're going to call your precious object for the purposes of this episode a precious creature and do you I mean do you do you love your cat to tears because I know he's gonna die he's quite old he's 11 now isn't he yeah have you lost a cat before oh yeah yeah I have but uh, the thing about it is I, you know, I get, even talking about him dying, I I get very, very, very upset. But it's something that I I know that I'm doing it right because uh, there's a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis, you know, in in about loss. It's from a film called The Shadowlands and they're saying, you know, the pain then is part of the happiness now. And that's the deal. So I'm loving him with my whole soul. And I'll use the word soul because heart doesn't really cut it enough for me. So yeah, I do. <laughs> I adore him. Wow. Because during this series, I often ask people when we're talking about their precious objects, is it possible to love an object and some people have said yes and others have said no or varying degrees of that attaching yourself or depend on it and some people I could say do you you know do you think it's possible to love animals and they might say yes or no but you are in the camp that is definitively Mm. in the red part of the graph Mm. yes Mm. absolutely absolutely because it, it is a it's a risk because if you dare to love anything your heart will inevitably be broken so my heart was broken when my mother passed away in a way that I've never experienced before in my life and I've been using objects (laughs) to I think remember and not only remember but to deeply experience emotion to deeply emote and part of the process of that is I have very similar hands to hers and I see my hands using for example, her Tupperware containers or her bakeware, and then I feel like I'm almost transported back in time and into and space, and almost into her body and her experiences from using these objects. What do you What do you make of that? Well, I'm nodding furiously because uh, there's there's so much that sort of resonates with me and my 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 practice professionally, but also personally. There's a wonderful book called The Story of My Heart, and it's an autobiography. And it's by an author, which I'll tell you later because I have to find it. But he speaks about eternity, about soul life. And that's what you've just been describing is, is how we become eternal and how we are eternal beings. And, and it is a thing uh, which is also known as, as rippling in that the person or object or, or, or whatever, you know, it. It ripples through different, you know, the continuing sort of generations and friends. It can be, you know, a look, a certain turn of phrase. It can be a gesture that we take on from the other person. And so we're living, you know, we're keeping all of that sort of essence of that person 
they're manifesting in us and they're man- still manifesting in you know in the world because others are you know seeing that gesture without knowing where it's coming from and then perhaps take on that gesture or that word or that saying or that object or so it becomes a part of the eternal so when i hear people say you know you know life is short what's the point and all of that sort of stuff I remind them about the eternal because we live on and I will be, you know, living on from, from, from Rolly and because I will not only rem- remember him, I'm going to, you know, talk about him and, you know. So these, these, these objects that we hold dear and become precious to us for whatever reason, but that's my story around that, they can trigger this sense of eternality or eternity. Yeah, 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 they can. They can. And and good. It's good. So what does that sense of eternity give us? What does it provide for us? I think what it perhaps it, it does, it, it allows us to have a different possibility to, you know, when we do collapse into defeat, because we do, because that's what grief does for, for us we do collapse into it because it's so defeating it, it allows for us to you know just to continue on and just to be able to um to go beyond ourselves yeah, go beyond ourselves but there's something bigger yeah there is there is something bigger and something unknowable and for us to be able to sit with the unknowing because that's very hard for us to do but if we embrace that and go well I don't know, and allow ourselves to become perplexed by what it means to exist, then there's so, we're making space for the difference and possibilities and what it means for us to love. Insert wow here. <laughs> That's profound. Oh, good. <laughs> well, well it, well, it is because... We spend so much of our time distracting ourselves from the fact we're even here, mm. let alone when when the unpleasant stuff comes or the tough stuff comes, mm. such as loss mm. and, and the ripple effects from that, which are grief. Mm. You know, we do everything we can not to experience it. Mm. So if we are able to find a way to sit with it, mm. you're saying something massively profound comes from that. I believe so. I do believe so. There, I mean, when my when my father died, whenever I and I still have it now. Whenever I read a, sometimes when I read a book, I I hear his voice reading the same words. And and, and, and how does that make you feel? Does that make you feel sad or comforted? Or both, maybe. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a it's it makes me smile. Because he was a real larrikin. And I thought, there you are, Dad. You popped in to say hello. G'day. G'day. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's, that's, that is comforting. And it's, um, oh, it's a joyful honouring of the, the spirit of that man. So it's possible, therefore, for our precious objects, in your case a precious creature, to allow to access a sense of honour because we don't, really reflect on that much anymore do we no uh, there's there's something that for, for me and i can only speak for myself here because when we're honoring something what it brings out in me is humility 
and wanting to really connect with something that's honourable and honours us and promotes dignity in everyone. So, yes, it it, it does, it, you know, it can, yeah. That, that's big too. Oh, well, <laughs> well, stick around, you know. Here all week. Yeah. <laughs> This is Auspicious Plastic, a podcast about objects and why we love them. Rolly is very playful and um, one of my favourite experiences with, with watching you and Rolly is when he comes and basically bosses you around and makes you play with him. He likes to turn himself into a feline mop yeah. and be dragged around on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that play uh, well, it's, well it's actually, it's interesting to say that you that you know that he demands it because yes, he does demand you know things from from me, and yes, he does boss me around. <laughs> he does, and what he does is he goes limp. <laughs> he goes limp, and it's like, come on then, you know, take me for a take me for a ride, take me for a spin, take me for a spin, and I'm like, all right, okay. But he demands that at ten o'clock each night. It's, it's a ritual. He'll come and collect me from work, whatever I'm doing, watching television. He'll be like, right, okay, now. It's my time now. It's, it's my time now. But also, we, without sort of becoming too, you know, philosophical about it, he is being vulnerable with me. And I'm being playful with that vulnerability. And it's a beautiful dance that when I'm feeling vulnerable, he'll come to me. And when he's being vulnerable in this point, because him going just limp and lying at my feet, you know, he's putting himself in, in danger there. He doesn't know how, how I could, put, you know, react to it. So he trusts you, obviously. He, he does, but this is what vulnerability does. It's an extension to the world to come and meet me and be vulnerable with me and we'll get something. We'll, perhaps we'll play. Perhaps it will be a profound experience of sadness together. But it's, a, it's something that Buber called, you know, it's an I-thou rather than an I-it. Oh, please explain. Feel oh, free. No, oh, no, you can. Much. No. Um, but you know, with, with an, with an I-thou, we're, we're really honouring the fact that what, when we meet another person or an animal object, well, no, no it's different, um, in that we are just blown away by how complex they are and just marvelling just how extraordinary it is to have that opening towards another creature um it is it's wonderful it brings something out in, in us but you said it's not possible to have that relationship <coughs> that i vow with an object but there are objects that trigger that kind of sense of awe in us aren't yes, they absolutely absolutely it's more to do with i mean what, what Bibi was talking about you know having an i thou with somebody rather than an i it and sort of using them and treating them as an object he was talking about people but yeah absolutely yeah of course you know an, an object it is imbued with meaning from us and therefore, it, it's no longer neutral. Yeah, it's subjective, isn't it? Yeah, it's it the is. precious subject. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And you know, if you've got something precious, you know, and like uh, that's breakable, and it belongs to someone else, and you break it, and there's that terrible feeling of what have I done? Oh God! So it's you know just to break a vase or something. You'd be like, oh, I just broke a vase, but it's you know your friend's grandmother's vase. Oh gosh, big. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's um. 
objects are also lessons to others about how we love. So when Rolly does go, as we all inevitably do, your precious creature, what do you think he will have bequeathed to you? What will he have left to you? So my mother obviously gave me much more than an object, but I access this sometimes, whatever she gave me, through using her objects and looking at them and really deeply appreciating them. I feel actually I go into a very great sense of gratitude sometimes. What do you think Rolly will give to you? Do you mean legacy? What it will be? His yeah. Well, yeah, what will his legacy be? That's mm, a difficult one. That's that's hard, but what he will what he's given me is a reminder that I am capable Oh, this is hard. I'm capable of of great love. That's a beautiful gift. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I felt the same way with because when I tear up over my mum's Tupperware, I'm astonished at the level of connection that I feel to her. Yeah. But we, we've got to learn this somehow, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's something that... We're not reminded often enough. We're, we're not. We don't notice it enough. We, we don't celebrate it enough. That we are, as humans and animals as well, we are capable of absolute just this wonderful capacity to to love, and that's just something so wonderful to be able to be reminded of, or you know, to be um, aware of. It moves mountains. Lucia, thank you. All right, thank you. (laughs) I think I need to go for a bit of a walk now. That's it for another episode of Auspicious Plastic. Huge thanks to my guest or guests for their time and willingness to share their ideas and stories about the things that they love. And massive thanks also to gifted music composer and musician Jeremy Conlon, a.k.a. Cooper Black, for creating the auspicious music theme for this podcast. You can find the full complement of his music online at cooperblack.bandcamp.com. And if you'd like to share your story with me or get in touch, please email me at hello at themeganspencer.com or you can visit my website, themeganspencer.com. And thank you too, auspicious listener. I'm grateful for your time, attention and feedback. My name's Megan Spencer and you've been listening to Auspicious Plastic. It's a podcast made about precious objects, made with love and dedicated to my mother Margaret. Until next time.